Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Yes, indeed. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning all across America. It's always a joy to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Wednesdays, I always take a moment, just a moment, to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. Do not forget about St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor, so go to Joseph. Want to bring in our morning air team once again, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories uh, that are making headlines this hour here on this uh, Wednesday? Severe weather in the news, guys. Out of Houston, tornado yesterday uh, rumbled through Pasadena, Texas, about 60 miles an hour. A uh, lot of damage done there. We've got one person reported injured and several drivers uh, on roads that were blocked by down power lines were stranded for quite a while and about 80,000 homes and businesses were without power across that part of the state last night. Just uh, one of the natural phenomena going on uh, earlier uh, in the wee morning hours, 2 a.m. Pacific Coast time, an earthquake, 4.2, uh, happened uh, in Southern California as well. And uh, that was... Uh, centered uh, just south of Malibu Beach. Another 3.5 tremor about a, an hour later. No reports of damage or injuries there, so that's some good news. And, uh, of course, we count our blessings uh, because uh, here uh, in uh, in the Chicago area, I woke up this morning uh, with a few inches of snow on the car. Uh, really not a, a big deal. It was a little bit uh, longer uh, commute into the office, uh, but uh, it's nothing compared to some of the uh, weather issues that some of our brothers and sisters are experiencing in other parts of, of the country, particularly in the Houston area and even in California, something that they've been going through for weeks and weeks. Yeah, all the rain out there, and uh, that has uh, thankfully stopped as well. But uh, it's kind of brought up the, the precip levels to areas that are, are needed, so some of the, the blessings in disguise out there as well. But, uh, yeah, you, you can't shovel a tornado, but you don't have to shovel a tornado. I mean, hopefully you don't have to shovel debris afterward. But, uh, yeah, the, even a few inches of snow in some of our large Midwestern cities can slow traffic uh, quite a lot for that commute. So if you are stuck in traffic and uh, listening to Relevant Radio, uh, our, our prayers are with you. Thanks for listening. Yesterday, one of my colleagues, uh, Patrick Alog, uh, one of the producers for Drew Mariani, was asking me who I thought was going to get into the Hall of Fame since the announcement was yesterday, and uh, I, I really wasn't sure, but we found out. Scott Rowland uh, is headed to Cooperstown, uh, elected into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame yesterday with 76% of the vote. It was a seven-time All-Star, eight time gold glove winner. He played with the Phillies, Cardinals, uh, the Blue Jays, and the Cincinnati Reds uh, during his 17-year career. And never forget, uh, Scott Rowland had a big World Series back in 2006, leading uh, the Cardinals uh, to another World Series uh, championship, uh, Glenn. Yeah, a great, uh, great career spanning 17 years, starting out as Rookie of the Year. And, uh, you know, got to love those uh, those first basemen as a former first baseman myself there. So hats off to Scott Rowland. For I'm sure. I'm sorry, third baseman. There. Third yeah. baseman. But, yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, hats off to him, too. He had a, a, a long career of throwing the ball a long way across uh, the diamond. So hats off to him. 
Absolutely, yeah. Kudos to Scott Rowland. And um, Oreo cookies are uh, making news this morning. What's going on? Well, you know, as a kid, we learned about the four food groups. And uh, back in the day, those four food groups, as a kid, I think, uh, let's see, pop and, and, and chips and candy and cookies. So cookies, one of the main four food groups for kids, uh, Oreo cookies, coming out next Monday now with the most Oreo Oreo. Uh, and this is an even larger amount of that Oreo cream in the middle between two cookies. And in the midst of that Oreo cream is other pieces of Oreo cookie. And so, uh, you know, the, the Oreo technology, guys, just keeps developing like crazy. I, I, just, I love this. I, my mom knows every Christmas she gets me a bag of Oreos because that's my one, uh, that's my kryptonite. That's my one weakness and it has to be <laughs> in a hidden location because, you know, like you said, Glenn, kids are always looking for those uh, candies and cookies and gum. So I have to keep that at work. But, uh, you know, the thing about these Oreos is there's always a serving size, a suggestion. I mean, I mean you can suggestion, do whatever. Suggestion, merely a suggestion. merely a suggestion. But the suggestion uh, for the regular size Oreo is three cookies. Then you get to the double stuff. It's two cookies. You get to this Oreo, the most Oreo Oreo. That's one cookie. So I don't know how many people are going to be sticking to that because this looks so good. There's no way you could just have one. Kids do not eat just one cookie. I can tell you that for <laughs> sure. I have found... Uh, bags of Oreo cookies empty uh, in the garbage uh, the next day. Uh, so uh, I know my 15-year-old my loves those Oreo cookies, so we'll have to tell him about the most Oreo Oreo uh, coming this coming Monday. Glenn, thanks uh, for the Oreo update. Hey, happy to do it. Happy to do it. Thanks again. We start uh, every hour in prayer here on Morning Air, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, always keeping in mind that every day is a gift and every day is a blessing. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Paul the Apostle, pray for us. And uh, we always invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning when we pray, Come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we've been talking about uh, earlier in the show, the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity uh, concludes tonight uh, with Pope Francis celebrating ecumenical Vespers at the tomb of St. Paul in the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome. This octave of prayer for unity among Catholics and other Christians of other denominations is celebrated every year from January 18th to the 25th, concluding with the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, which we are celebrating today. St. Paul was all about our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.21, Paul wrote, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Joining us live is our spiritual director today, Father Marcel Tayon, with much more on the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Father Tayon is the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island. He has served uh, well over a decade in a vocation ministry uh, for Our Lady of uh, Providence Seminary while chaplain at Bishop Hendrickin High School, and he's a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. 
Good morning, Father Tyone. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Great to be with you to talk about the Apostle St. Paul. Yeah, I think we're blessed to have have this day because the conver- it's notice it's called the conversion of St. Paul. He was, you know, we we know him as the incredible apostle evangelizer to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, but he was someone who wasn't always that way and I think it's important today the church asks us to reflect on his conversion, that encounter he had with the person of Jesus. We had a personal encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And it, he literally was persecuting, killing Christians and rejoicing in that, but he was serving God by doing that, if you can imagine, and then had a, a 180 conversion, willing to be martyred for Christ, which he was where the Holy Father is going today. Uh, that's actually where his uh, his body is and where he was beheaded on that place. St. Paul's outside the walls of the city. So it's I think this conversion of St. Paul is... Uh, a call for all of us to conversion, to experience the person of Jesus. And once he experienced Jesus personally, everything changed. And I, I think that's the key for us here, that. And to never, one of the other things about this this day I think is so helpful is that, you know, we all have a past. Everyone's done things that are not fully in Christ, especially those that maybe done more serious things. I think of Dr. Bernard Nathanson on this pro-life week, who was one of the top abortionists in the United States, he had a, also an encounter with the person of Jesus, a, a radical change. Um, and literally, he too, like Paul, just literally everything looked oppositely beautiful. What, what attracted him, what was beautiful, changed because he met the person of Jesus, the second person in the Trinity. So that's what we're asked to do. I think asking the Holy Spirit to, to have that experience of a personal experience with Jesus today would be helpful for us, but also to, you know, not give up on anyone, even, you know, maybe people we read the news and people have done horrible things, um, terrible sins, but to really, to kind of ask St. Paul to pray for them that they come to know Christ. And I, I think that's that's what this day is all about. It's about mercy, forgiveness, changing direction, and of course, uh, one of the greatest uh, writers of scripture that we have is St. Paul. We're grateful for that. He was a, a powerful teacher, preacher, and uh, shook up the world for Jesus, and, and we're blessed because of that. And Father Tyone, I think to, to truly understand the significance of uh, St. Paul's uh, conversion story, uh, we have to keep in mind uh, where he came from uh, when he was uh, named Saul. Can you give us a, a few of the highlights of this incredible, amazing story of conversion? Well, he actually had a different name, right? So he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was uh, obviously a, a very zealous uh, Jew that was really against the Christian movement entirely. But again, as often happens in the Christian tradition, maybe if someone becomes a religious, we take a confirmation name. Someone at ordination becomes father, or consecration becomes sister or brother. Um, there's a name change denoting a different uh role in the church. And really, um, it's powerful. Two things about that moment, I think, that are big. So he was, um, you know, Saul, and then of Tarsus on the way to Damascus, which is where Syria is. I think people know that. And he had this encounter, literally, quote unquote, thrown off his horse. But Jesus spoke to him and said, you're persecuting me. And he was persecuting Christians. So this is a big deal for Catholics and Christians because Jesus identified, he self-identified with the Christian community, the baptized, as his very body. So that's the other massive insight into this day, that he speaks, he speaks to Saul and he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, you know, obviously Saul was not persecuting him directly. He was persecuting his friends and followers and killing them. So even here, I think that's the other major uh, 
reveal to us, reminder to us today that, that Christ identifies with all the baptized as being members of his own body. And we see that in Scripture. We see Paul, again, himself um, receiving baptism. And then, you know, again, it didn't go well. At first, people didn't trust him. And we wouldn't trust him either. If someone killed members of our family, our spiritual family, he showed up for Thanksgiving meal, we wouldn't want him in the house. And that's exactly what happened. He had he had to sort of earn the trust. People didn't believe he was so notorious for killing Christians when he was Saul, um, that at the beginning, as as his only right, I think we see the humanity of the the apostles and disciples. Like some sometimes people do have a conversion in our life, and we don't believe it. I've had that in my family. One of my uncles on his deathbed had a conversion. His children were not present, and they couldn't believe it. They almost didn't believe it, and it was true. And it reminded me of Saint Paul. So I think, you know, the Lord's grace is abundant and wide and generous. And if someone's open to that, then we too need to remain open like Christ. And then also, you know, I think invoke St. Paul, you know, over serious cases of sin, but also ourselves. Let's ask Jesus for a personal experience of him. And again, his name's changed and that, that amazing, loving insight that Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And he means that's how dear we are to Jesus. We're part of his body. He's the head and the church is his spouse, his bride. So we who are baptized are the bride of Christ. And it's a beautiful, perfect marriage uh, from his experience from the Lord's choosing. And so I think it's another thing we can dwell on today that's just amazing. And uh, and again, noticing Paul's name change and then his change, his whole life was only about Christ. He's, and we, if you get a chance to read some of his his letters, especially the really authentic ones where he just was preaching, you know, in a rabbinical style, very forward, very kind of straight on, um, and then just went out to the world. And it's amazing that uh, where he went, how he went there, and he took all the zeal of persecution and made it into the zeal transformed by Jesus into the same gifts were used to accomplish amazing things that give us scripture, a universal church day, the roots of that, and uh, and always a deference to Peter as the head. We see them work through that. And I, I just think it's one of my favorite days of the year because it's so uh, hopeful. So the converse of St. Paul, you know, sometimes I've had people that are going to jail or, you know, they've, they've done something they really feel like God can't ever love them again. I said, well, you have good company. Like, did you do what Saul did? You know, and they're like, no, I didn't know. I said, well, the Bible was written by a man, you know, who did all these horrible things. And uh, we, we always say thanks be to God after we hear his word at mass. And we can give thanks be to God because God's the one that gave him that conversion. So that's part of the church's mission, inviting people to experience Jesus, inviting them into conversion, and then having a new role. All of us are called to do what Paul did. This is not just him a long time ago. You and I, everybody listening, wherever we are, if you're on the way to work, school, a nursing home, in the car, walking around, getting some exercise, the rest of the day, we should try to be aware that we're called to also evangelize and witness to our experience with Jesus, personal experience. And if we haven't had that, just beg God for it. Jesus, let me experience you. Send me your Holy Spirit so I can experience your love and, and be free from myself and free from my past and obviously confession for us is a great uh, experience of what happened to Paul. We can also go to confession and have a conversion. At any moment, we can have some conversion and grace through that. So Lent is coming. That's the other thing I think we should, we should um, you know, get in the batter's box to, to go to confession and kind of put that on the radar um, so we can be in the Hall of Fame, you know, <laughs> I think Hall of Fame of Saints and be, and be like Christ. So, so it's a wonderful day, and I think it's a great topic for us to, to think about. 
Father Tyler, you talk about zeal and passion. Uh, as St. Paul uh, was tireless in proclaiming and living out uh, the message of the gospel and the message of the cross. Uh, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, his, he had many messages, but the message of the cross is one that is so important for us uh, to keep in mind. He taught us about uniting our sufferings to those of Christ. And it's the ultimate thing, right? We, what do we hear in Scripture? That it's the cross is a folly or it's salvation. So when we look at a cross, do we see God's love pouring out for his son? Or do we see like a torture, like it's kind of a torturous thing? And I, I think we know that Paul received mercy and we have to receive mercy personally and know that Jesus had two natures, divine and human nature, in order for us to understand the power of the cross. And we who are cradle Catholics, who grew up with crosses everywhere in our churches, behind our altars, on our necklaces, we get them at First Communion. We may not be shocked by the scandal of the cross, but again, remembering that was the most heinous uh, way for someone to be killed uh, by the government back in the first century in Rome. And uh, it's just brutal what happened. Again, uh, amazing. You know, again, Peter Peter was crucified and uh, and Jesus was crucified. Paul was beheaded because, he, you know, he was a citizen. So I think it's fascinating to think about that, um, that the cross is everything. And I think we almost need to be re-self-evangelized, need to be shocked, almost like think if we didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. And then we read St. Paul's writings the cross, as you say, will be right front and center, the main thing that we'll be confronted with, with love and mercy, no condemnation. And and this is how we need to evangelize others, but we need to experience that ourselves. I think it's really big. Uh, St. Paul, Saul to Paul had, had this experience of so the cross is everything. Then he lives for the cross, he dies by the cross. And uh, again, it's great, the Holy Father is going out there today with our brother, sister Christians to pray. And uh, again, St. Paul is... Uh, a magnificent evangelizer, a magnificent preacher, a witness to the end. Um, uh, and he, he, he's just encouragement to everyone. I think there's no way you can't know his story and not receive encouragement. And the closeness of Jesus to the baptized. That's the other thing. If you baptize us in the program today, you're in the body of Christ. And when someone persecutes us for professing the name, the, the magnitude of the cross, the gift of Christ, um, Christ is being persecuted in us, and that's that's a sharing in His passion. We take our sufferings, we make it redemptive, united to His, and and we discover what Paul discovered that changed everything. So what's what's the what's the center of our life? Is it the cross? And we're all called to make that the center. That'll change every other relationship. So that's the calling today. No, no, God would never force us to do that, but He invites us because He wants us happy, fulfilled in this life, and with Him forever in the next. We don't have to wait. So we take our last breath to meet him to experience some a lot of these graces now. So that's that's the message. I think you're right. The cross is the cross. What is the cross? And uh, maybe today we can sort of let that rock our world like we've never heard of it before. I think that's a good way to, to come into today's conversion story. And uh, Father Tyone, um, maybe the other message is, is love. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, something that's uh, read uh, very popularly, especially at weddings, uh, where St. Paul uh, talks about uh, love, how you can have everything. If you don't have love, you have nothing. And we need to be careful, right? The word love today is thrown around very, very easily. Um, for Christians, we believe love is God is love, Christ is love, and love is a person, not a feeling. So that's really important. Glad you brought that up. And 
people do read those readings, and I think you know if we want to go to that reading today, we've all heard at weddings, you know, take out um, the word love and put our name in there, you know, and are we living up to that, you know? Father T is patient. Father T is kind. I think that's a great exercise for Lent. You know, are we Christ-like? Are we? Are those attributes? Can they describe us? And uh, of course, no one perfectly. But I always think that that's why a couple, a man and woman, get married so they can actually live out those virtues more readily and steadfastly together rather than alone. And uh, it's funny. There's an attraction, a natural attraction to love, and that's why on a day of committed love, people choose that reading so often. Sometimes we hear reading so often we know it doesn't hit us anymore, like seeing the cross. It kind of loses its its pinch, if you will, the the, the amazingness of it. So so I th- I'm glad you said that. I think that would be another suggestion today. Let's let's take out that reading and put our name in there and ask Jesus, make me like this, make me like you, because we could put his name in there and it's perfect. Christ is patience, Christ is kind, Christ is understanding. And I think we can do his name, then do our name and ask, ask Jesus for that personal experience of mercy so we can go back out there again and be like St. Paul. And St. Paul also urged us to uh, to be of uh, the same mind. He he prayed for unity, and he exhorted uh, us as Christians uh, for unity, unity in the body of Christ. So it's only fitting that we celebrate this feast day today of the conversion of St. Paul uh, at the very end here of this week of prayer for Christian unity. Remember Jesus at the Last Supper, right, his longest talk, was desiring unity when he, when he instituted the Mass and the priesthood. Jesus longed for unity among his followers, and, and the brokenness in the body of Christ is one of the sadnesses in our world, but at the same time, it calls us to conversion and to uh, evangelization, to walk with others, and to kind of be hopeful. So uh, good point on that, too. Well, Father Tyone, there's so much more that we could talk about St. Paul, but I really appreciate uh, your uh, perspective and your insights. Uh, this is a, it's a big feast day uh, in the Church. Amen. A great one. So let, let's celebrate it appropriately, and let's, let's, let's get to it. Thanks so much. You really appreciate it. Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. We need to take a, a short break when Morning Air continues. Personal success coach Dave Duran will be with us to talk about uh, when to never give up and three things in life to never give up on, uh, or uh, maybe to give up or to always give up. We'll talk about it uh, with Dave Duran. So stay with us. We're headed down the stretch as Morning Air continues here on this Wednesday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. <laughs> Looking at life from a Catholic worldview. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday morning. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Romans 8.28. St. Paul the Apostle writes, We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him who are called according to his purpose. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that all things happen for the good of those who love God. During difficult times, uh, we have to have a spiritual and an authentic Catholic perspective. Nothing happens in this world without the will of God. The Lord is the Lord of the universe, and nothing happens without his direct will or his permitting will. This is what we call divine providence, and we have to have 
the faith that our Lord Jesus Christ does not abandon us, and he is always, always with us. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now I want to switch gears here and, and talk about uh, some of the things in life that we should never give up on. On the other hand, there are other things in life that we maybe can give up on, and yet there are other things that we should always give up on. Uh, you can start thinking about some of those things if uh, I just uh, perked your interest. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149. Joining us live from Fort Myers, Florida, is our longtime morning air contributor and personal success coach, Dave Duran, who's going to share with us uh, his perspective on uh, some of the things to never give up on. Dave is an author, speaker, and executive coach. He is the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media and a founder of Lighthouse Catholic Media and DE Media. You can always follow Dave on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Good morning, Dave. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, it's great to be with you once again. Hey, John. Good morning. Yeah, Great to be with you as well. Super uh, interesting uh, topic here this morning, and uh, I'm glad we're starting with uh, the things that we should never give up on. Uh, tell us, uh, give us your take. Well, you know, it's interesting because you hear these sayings, never give up. There's a lot of sayings that people have out there. And obviously there's, you know, there's an understanding that never give up probably doesn't mean smoking. Okay. But <laughs> people have a tendency to kind of get confused about these sorts of things. And I've seen people you know, basically say things like, you know, I'm 100% loyal. And then they're 100% loyal to maybe an organization that doesn't really even have a great mission that is not loyal to them. And it's like um, a mis misguided, uh, non-prudent sense of loyalty. Loyalty is a tremendous thing. But loyalty to something that doesn't make sense to be loyal to is, is, is not. So I'm kind of clarifying some of these never give up things. The first one is we should just be really clear about this. No matter what we're doing, whether we're working or in a relationship, wherever we are, if, if that's not leading us toward perfect holiness, sainthood, then, then that's a problem because that's the first thing we should never ever give up on is perfect holiness. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, we're, we're commanded to be perfect. Yep. This is something that we can't accomplish on earth. And if we were able to come even remotely close to accomplishing this on earth, it would be the grace of God that is powering that and our cooperation with that grace. But whether or not we, you know, are aware that we can't get there, okay, um, we, we can't just give up. And people have a tendency to do this. They, they fall into despair. Well, you know, here I am working hard to be holy, but I have this vice that I'm continuing to, to struggle with. Maybe I should just give up. Almost kind of like when a person's on a diet and they have one bite of cake, they say, well, I might as well have one piece. I'll have a whole cake tonight. And we have to make sure that we just always come back and we seek forgiveness and we, we, we try to embolden and strengthen ourselves with God's grace to move forward in holiness. I think of uh, Winston Churchill saying, never give up. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, so-called motivational speakers over the years that have said things like never give up. But I think your first point about uh, you, you never give up on holiness, because really, uh, as, as Catholics and as Christians, that's really uh, our, our main mission is uh, to try to be holy. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And 
See, when we look at that, we start to recognize that the behavior that we have with others affects our own holiness, okay? And that is that, that we, we become better at leaders, better at uh, fathers and mothers and neighbors and citizens. When we're focused on our own holiness, it's impossible to focus on our own holiness and not see how that interacts or interplays with other people. I mean, if we're going to be perfectly holy at work, we're going to do an unbelievably fantastic job. One of the things that always gets me is when I'm working in, you know, my companies are mostly, uh, you know, you know, secular organizations, but I started, you know, as, as the introduction said, you know, Lighthouse Catholic Media is, is one of the founders and a few other Catholic apostolates. And occasionally I have somebody, a Catholic apostolate that'll say something like, um, well, I'm just in this, uh, for Christ. Okay. And they'll, they'll make this very strong statement that they're 100%. That's why they're doing it. And yet it's a paid position and they were looking for a job and all that. And I, I always stop them and I say, I just want you to, say, I just want to be very clear about something. You, you probably don't want to say to me that you are 100% only in this for Christ because I will tell you how I will interpret that. I will interpret that, that you are willing to work 24 hours a day to death for the salvation of others and your own soul. Okay. And really in reality, you know, there, you're, you're interested in this because you have a mission for Christ. Absolutely. But you also, you need a job and you have other personal interests and goals that you want to accomplish. Those things aren't bad to integrate. Let's, let's look at it that way. One of the reasons for that is because I've worked with many people who make that claim. And they use it as a reason to not actually work hard. You're help, you're, you're, you're asking them to really perform, to put their best foot forward, to do the best job they can. And they basically say, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm only in it for Christ. And it's a, it's a, it's a confusion. So we have to remember that when we're talking about perfect holiness, we are talking about perfect behaviors. Uh, and again, we can't accomplish perfect behaviors, but if we can, we're going to be unbelievably outstanding at what we do because it will emulate the idea that we are doing it for the sake of Christ alone. And if we do it for Christ, we're on the right track on this feast of uh, the conversion of the Apostle St. Paul. I'm reminded that St. Paul wrote, whatever you do in work or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we do, whatever job we're at, if we do it for Jesus, you can't go wrong. I, I think that that's, that's the proper motivation. And you're going to see, you're going to see great work. I mean, there's this one story of these two novices in uh, a monastery or a novice in a monastery who was asked to paint a wall and he painted the wall and another brother walked by and he looked at him and he said, who, who are you painting that for? And the, the novice said, well, you know, brother Joe told me to paint it. And he goes, well, I suppose in that case, it's okay. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I thought all things we did here were for Christ, which means you should probably start over and do a better job. <laughs> and that's such a great example of just painting a wall, right? Uh, what is it that we're doing? And painting a wall isn't feeding the poor, but we're going to do this job and we're going to glorify God in it. We're going to do our best at it. Okay, let's talk about uh, another one of those things that we should never give up on. Stewardship. And this is one of those things that's just tremendous. You know, God made each one of us and he made us you know, you know, sometimes he specifically makes us to work specifically for this company, for this reason, or for this organization to accomplish something big. And we've seen how he uses people to accomplish his, his, his will in so many different ways to shape the world. Most of us, though, what happens is he's giving us a particular set of skills. And there are many options for us in our free will to use those skills and to be good stewards of the talents that he gave us. 
But we have to remember that those that stewardship really matters because he does he does create some people as a Ferrari and some people as a minivan and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't make anyone better or worse. The fact is, if a if a minivan tried to get on a racetrack and race like a Ferrari, it's going to be miserable in its life because it can't perform that way. If a Ferrari is going to try to pick up a bunch of kids from soccer practice and put groceries in the back, it's going to be miserable because it cannot perform that way. So instead, what we do is we say, Lord, how did you make me? And examine this and say, why did you give me this interest, this skill, this natural talent, this inclination, surround me with these people? Oh, wow, because... This is the mission I should accomplish. The problem is some of us are minivans. We want to be Ferraris or we're Ferraris and we want to be minivans. And then we have the struggle of pride and we have to basically become docile to God's will in that. And it, it really matters. It's important to, to know our role on a team and to know our, our mission in life. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And when we do examine these things, we're going to have the greatest joy. That, that's an interesting thing. So one of the uh, things that I criticize in, in the, you know, the kind of modern contemporary self-esteem movement is that you can be anything you want to be. Well, there's a certain part of that that says, yes, I have, I have self, you know, uh, uh, I have the power to actually make decisions and I have freedom depending on what country and time that you live. You have self-agency. Those things are good. But at the same time, it's actually not true that we can be anything we want to be. I mean, uh, you know, I, I could not have been the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. I, I, I couldn't have done that. Or scratch golfer. There are certain things out there where even if you give a certain amount of really, really, really strong effort, there's just other people that are more qualified for that. But what's going to happen is we're not going to be happy being anything we want to be. We're going to actually be fulfilled when we are what God wants us to be. And ultimately, that's holy. But second, it's to use the natural skills and inclinations that he gave us for good stewardship. That makes total sense. Uh, it's got to be within God's will. And then he gives us that free will to, to go for it. One more thing uh, before we go to break. Uh, things to never give up on. Well, the next one, John, is perfect love for others. Now, you hear me using these words, perfect. Well, yeah, because, you know, nobody wakes up and says, I'm striving for mediocre. That really inspires me. Um, but perfect love. Why? Well, when we want to be loved, we want to be loved perfectly. Now, we certainly have to have the patience and the understanding to know that whenever we're in a relationship, we're not going to be loved perfectly because the other person isn't perfect just like we're not. And understanding and compassion are what bridge the gap there. But the bottom line is, is that people desire perfect love, which is why they desire God. And we are supposed to be like Christ. And Christ loved perfectly. So that's a pretty inspiring goal. And it's also one that when we look at, we don't get sloppy. Like if you're going to sloppily do something and say, well, it doesn't need to be perfect, then you're not going to go back and fix it. You're not going to care uh, to, to do it carefully in the first place and not in paranoia. But perfect love for others means that we're going to do two things. We're going to will their good and we're going to present sacrifice because that's how you know you're in love, that you will the good of the other and that there is sacrifice present. And that's also not how you know you are loved. So those are important things. 
And that, at the end of the day, is really uh, the end game, uh, to become a people of love. Um, we're going to take a, a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some things that maybe we could give up. Uh, I want to invite our listeners as well. Uh, if We're taking your calls for Dave Duran. If you've been listening uh, to this conversation, you have any thoughts you want to share with us on uh, things that you never give up on, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can be part of our discussion at 888-914-9149, 888 888-914- 914-9149. We're going to take a uh, uh, time out as we continue uh, talking to uh, executive coach Dave Duran, the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media. Stay with us. There's more to come after this time out. Back to Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us this morning as uh, we continue our conversation on when to never give up. There are times you give up and there are times that you don't. If you want to be part of this discussion, our number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We're taking your calls uh, for our personal success coach, Dave Duran. Um, Dave, uh, now let's switch gears and talk about some of those things that we maybe could give up on. Well, these are important things because this is where people generally get confused, which is why I have it in here. So a lot of times you'll hear things like never give up as an entrepreneur, never, ever, ever give up. And you hear the entrepreneur who made it big telling their story of how they never gave up and that's why they did well. And now what happens is you hear these, these uh, you know, people who have lost their home and they've lost their families and they keep hearing people say never give up and, you know, it, it's always worth it. Um, and, and they just drive themselves to destruction. Or you'll hear people say things like, you know, always be positive. You know, that, that positive attitude is the key to success. And so you have these people running around being positive in the midst of things that require something a little bit more than positive, which is maybe resolve or, or maybe even a little bit, you know, of frustration in order to turn the ship or a, 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 a trigger of, natural uh, guilt that, uh, you know, causes a, a negative feeling which a person wants to escape by being good and holy or changing things. So we have to stop and say, wait a second, am I really on this path? Why did I start this business? Was this a vanity project um, or was this a project of good? Uh, am, I, am I even qualified to do this? And so if we, if we have prudence and we say, okay, I desire what is good here, well, what is good is that all the people associated with me are lifted up and raised because of what it is that I'm doing, or if they're sacrificed, it's appropriate to my relationship to them if they're participating in it. But I also know what is real here, which is I have the skills or I don't have the skills or there is the timing is right or not, and now I'm going to pursue that what is good. So we have to just remember this, this never give up thing. You know, and people apply it to sports all the time where the young person's got this pursuit to win a gold medal or they've got this pursuit to be a pro athlete. And, but yet they're really not the person for that. And yet they, they, they pursue it to such a degree that there's destruction in their lives. One of the reasons this is hard, John, is because when people tell that story of success, okay, they usually talk about a challenge that sounds so similar to everybody else, like Michael Jordan getting cut from the basketball team. 
Yes, true, but look at Michael Jordan getting cut from the basketball team, according to most people. How that happened? Was he underdeveloped physically? Maybe. Was it? I don't, rem- I don't remember the story. Uh, he was a freshman. He got happened. cut from v- the varsity. So it's, it's not like he okay. got cut. He got cut from the varsity as a freshman. Wasn't quite yeah, so ready it's like yet. One of these things, exactly, that's just misinterpreted and that people use this and they apply it to the kid that, you know, got cut and shouldn't be playing probably. So we just have to remember that there's a, there's a time and a place for this and that these stories, they don't apply to everyone and, and that we, we just have to be prudent about what to maybe give up on. And it, and it takes humility to know one's limitations. When you've given it your all and you realize, you know, maybe this isn't God's plan. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, by the way, this happens in other places in, in, in friends and relationships that are unhealthy. I mean, assuming you've done everything possible according to your obligation to the relationship, you have to ask yourself, is this friend of mine really making me better? And I know that I pride myself in being a loyal friend and we were friends, you know, maybe in high school or in college, but they've just, they've gone completely wayward here. And when I'm with them, I'm a worse person. But yet I value this loyalty so high that I now am compromising myself because I'm willing to actually behave in ways that are not good or to participate in behaviors with this person that enable him or her to be a worse person. But yet somehow I excuse myself in that. There's all these different types of things we have to just examine about whether or not we should maybe give up and make a decision to move forward. What about uh, stuff that you uh, can give up on, like uh, like hobbies or projects? Maybe uh, there, there there could be things that oh, yeah. you just These... you realize, hey, you know what? This is just not for me. Yeah, there's there's so many things like that. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be a scratch golfer. Okay, well, <clears throat> cool. I mean, that's great. I mean, if you can become a scratch golfer by by saying, hey, this is something that is is a productive thing to do. It you know it is, and I, it's fun and it's social, and I can do good things, and I can play with friends and family, uh, and within a reasonable amount of time, I can reach that goal. How cool is that? Wow! But if this all of a sudden now disorders the amount of time that you have and the amount of energy that you need to put into it, where you're compromising other responsibilities in your life, then this is a time that you give that particular goal up. Or the beach body. Okay, well, great. You know, be in shape. Have more energy. Be, you know, be able to, 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 to get around in life the way you want to. However, if all of a sudden now you're like uh, totally vain and possessed with the way that you look, and so you're horrible to be around because you just, you know, you can't eat what you need to eat around others to be social or polite or, uh, because you have a fixation with, you know, you know, looking at yourself now or, or, or dressing yourself up in a particular way. Well, now it becomes a problem, you know, but otherwise, yeah, be, be very healthy. Great. So if you can do this within the context of proper, uh, humility, and you can do this in the context of being able to be, you know, uh, uh, polite and kind as a participant in family life and social life, fine. Same thing with like investing where people become obsessed about these sorts of things and they, they, they just can't stop talking about it and they become like a Scrooge. They become good at it, but it becomes over consuming in their life. And now it, it fights against See, Here's one of the things we know. If these things fight against the things that we never give up, give up on, which are perfect holiness, stewardship and perfect love for others, we're probably in a good place. But if you start to see these things, compromising perfect holiness, stewardship, and perfect love for others, that's the time to consider giving up. Well, Dave, I know uh, my limitations. Uh, I'm never going to be not even a scratch golfer. I'm happy with putt-putt golf. 
Oh yeah, I uh, I will tell you. Uh, I, I I most golf courses that I've golfed on have a big rash on them from every step that I took. So I get that. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's talk about uh, the things that we should always give up on. First one, vice, sin. It's not easy. That's why it's called vice, but it's worth the work. And one of the reasons I put this in there isn't because I really believe that, you know, most people are capable of saying, wow, I have this vice. It is, I'm going to immediately make it gone for my life. It's gone. Should that be what we do? Yeah. Should that be our um, attitude about it? Yeah. Should that be our effort toward it? Sure. Yes. But, you know, clearly this is not the way human nature works. We are drawn back to our vices and we are tempted into our vices. And in our weak moments, we go back to them. But it's got to be on the list because no matter how many times we fail, we have to recommit to giving up on them. And this is a super important thing to do. So I think this is actually the blend here that matters the most, which is not to say, well, I am just that way. The worst people to live with are the people who have vices and they go, well, I'm just that way. You need to accept it. Wow. They would never accept that from anybody else. And you know that the people who say that about themselves are actually the ones who demand perfection around people. Uh, they, it's a very interesting thing. But the person who has the ability to say, yes, I am that way and I need to change and I'm going to work on it now. Now, I'm also aware that I'm a person and I'm capable of sin. And if I fall back to that, I really hope I get compassion from you because I'm going to have to give it to myself. But I'm fully committed to getting this done and doing it the right way. Now, obviously, if we're talking about something that's so grave and heinous, you're not going to, you, you, you just, they have to totally eliminate those things from your life, Okay. But there are other behaviors where we just have a tendency to fall back into this particular vice. And we, we really have to make sure that we um, are committed to not being in it. So it's, sometimes people just give themselves a pass way too easily in bad behavior. And we have uh, the beauty of the sacrament of confession. So even if we do uh, commit these vices or sins, uh, we know we can always count on our Lord's mercy. Oh, and that's, that, I mean, that, that's the superpower that gets us there. You know, human beings are actually pretty, you know, pretty strong. God made us strong. But when it comes to conquering a vice, it really takes the grace of God. And it takes the humility and the docility to basically say, I am weak, make me strong. Uh, that allows us to go there. And getting right with God in confessional is one of the greatest ways to do that. Not to mention, of course, then receiving the Eucharist. So that's huge. Okay, final moments here. Uh, uh, a couple of things that we should always give up on. Well, always give up, always give up not forgiving others. I know that's kind of like double negative, but if you are holding on to unforgiveness, give that up every time. You know, forgiving uh, is the way to set you free. It's the same thing with grudges. It's the classic saying, I think it was St. Augustine, that, you know, not forgiving somebody is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to get sick. It is absolutely true. So we really need to let go if we're feeling that way. And then the last one is disordered self-pride. And frankly speaking, both one and two here, vice and not forgiving others would go away. Um, if we, in fact, even maybe giving up on and being perfect and, and never giving up on all this whole list would be in one fell swoop wiped out if we did not have disordered self-pride, if we had perfect humility. But we don't. And so because we don't, we should definitely categorize this in its own category and say, how is it that I have disordered self-pride? The reason I say this is because, you know, you should be proud of your work. That's a good thing, right? You, to be proud of your kids in, in, a dis, in an ordered way is a good thing. But disordered all of a sudden makes the kids kind of, 
you know, self-entitled. And if we have pride in ourselves, that's, or, you know, pride in our work that doesn't glorify God. And we basically own that pride for ourselves as opposed to our mild participation in it. Now it's disordered. But to have pride in your work in an ordered fashion that God gets the glory, but he made you and you participated, that, that's a reinforcement of how to be holy, actually. So acknowledging it is good. Well, Dave, I uh, really uh, appreciate your perspective. Uh, lots to think about here of uh, when uh, to throw in the towel and when not to. Uh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Dave Durand, uh, our executive coach, uh, the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media. You can follow Dave on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called People Change from Sunny Skies. I was bullied a lot in secondary school, 11 to 18 years old for people who have different school systems. There was one main culprit, let's call him C. Over many years, this boy physically and verbally abused me every day. This went on for a long time. Eventually we left school, no idea what he went on to do. I think it was construction, and many years passed. One day, I was walking to the supermarket, I was 26 at this point, Having a smoke, and who should I bump into? C. There was a shocked look of incredulity on his face. He tried to figure out who he thought I was. He asked me, and I told him I was exactly who he thought I was. What followed was the most honest and sincere apology I ever heard in my life. I'll remember that apology for the rest of my days. Now, he could have just pretended that he didn't notice me, but he stopped and apologized. There was legitimate shame in this man's voice for the things he'd done to me in the past. I forgave him instantly. I carried resentment toward him around for so many years and in a second it was gone. I was completely blindsided. That day I regained a bit of faith in humanity and I had a fantastic rest of my day. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. I really appreciate it on this feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Try to get to Mass if you can. And pray the family rosary across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And so that'll do it on this Wednesday edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Thursday on the next Morning Air. St. Paul the Apostle, pray for us. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.